Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Two Footer Tackle Podcast. I'm your host, Iris Namatakos. We are here again. Another day, another podcast, another episode, another another 40 minutes odd of chatting shit about football. Um, I hope the week, I hope the day has traded you well. The week, that's muscle memory right there. Um, I hope the day has traded you well. I hope everyone enjoyed the four, um, I was going to say exciting games. Some were exciting, some weren't. Um, some had a lot of goals, some had no goals. So um, we'll, we'll cover all of that. But I hope the, the day has traded, treated all of you nicely. I hope any Australians have, have recovered or have um, at least come to terms with what has happened. It, it sucks. It sucked. Uh, but I guess it is what it is. I'm still not mentally over it. But I guess maybe come Saturday, come Saturday night, I think I might be mentally over it. But um, I, it is what it is. We, we can't dwell. We can only move forward, as the as the saying goes. So let, we're going to move on from that. Um, thank you all for the support on last yesterday's episode. It was greatly appreciated. Thank you all very much for the support on the clip as well. They went out. Greatly appreciated. Um, yeah, it's mean. It means the world to me when I see, when I see it. Do something. Do something not bad. So um, yeah, there you go. But yes, um, we are going to cover all four games. Going to cover some storylines that have come out of the World Cup, as, as we always do on this podcast, as we always do on this um, World Cup edition of the of the podcast. Anyway, um, but yeah, let's. But before I start, all the formalities. Check out all the good stuff. All the all the links. In the description on YouTube, in the in the in bios of Instagram and, and Twitter, which I've plugged I've, I've plugged long enough now for you to for you to know where it is. So if you're watching on YouTube for the first time, it's in the description. If you're listening on Spotify, um, if you're listening on Spotify, then I assume you either you got to the Spotify from the Instagram or from the or, or from the Twitter. So I'm not too concerned, and that goes for most audio platforms, in fact. So um, yeah, I can't I, I don't really think there's a need to plug it there, um, and anything else. Not really. Okay. Not really to to cover anything else, do I? No, I don't. No, I don't. Okay, let's crack on. Let's go. And let's start with the early game. The early game? Let's go with the early game. 9 o'clock game, which I caught bits and pieces of because I was was watching my brother tear it apart in in 7 aside. So I was kind of half-occupied. But I caught caught most of the game, caught most... I caught all the second half. Um, caught most of the first half, um, but I was watching. I was watching a masterclass in seven aside finishing, so I was pre- preoccupied. But um, yeah, it was of course Croatia Morocco, and a game which was pretty evenly balanced. I think pre-game, I thought obviously Croatia will be um, probably were the favourites heading into it, just purely because of um, of course of uh, like of of course they won the Nations League. Um, they won their Nations League group most recently. Um, they were obviously finalists four years ago, and they obviously are a team that have a have a bucket loads of talent. It's still a relatively similar squad to twenty eighteen, probably like I mean the midfield's kind of similar, the defense is they're similar in parts, the attack similar in parts, manager's still the same, formation still the same, system's relatively similar as well. So. I guess the only thing different is some personnel, but um, Morocco have, were a little bit of a I wouldn't say dark horse because I'm not really sure it's fair to call Morocco a dark horse both to the actual dark horses of the tournament, um, because not many people really expect them to go through. Um, they have some talent. They have obviously Hakimi, Hakimi Mazrari, um, Amrabat is still going around. 
I thought I thought the guy retired, I reckon, seven years ago. But um, no, Amrabat's still running around, which was quite funny. Um, when it was was quite funny when I when I saw that. Um, and of course, I've got, you've got Hakim Zayic as well, who is their who is their who is their main man, who who really is going to provide all the creativity, especially in that final third. We all know he's not having the best of times at, at Chelsea at the moment. He's falling in and out of form, falling in and out of favour, I should say. So. Um, yeah, of course he needs to he needs to find his form for his country, no doubt. And of course you've got Buffal on the other side who has talent. He's a mercurial player, so we don't really know what to expect from him. But the Croatia lineup was pretty similar to how we'd expected to to line up. Vlasic, Kramaric, Perisic, all up front, all in that front line, and then that incredibly stacked midfield of Modric, Bozovic, and and Kovacic, all the itches. Um, no, yeah, it was. It was. It's a very, very even. It's a very balanced team. Croatia have a very, very balanced team, which is something that um could take them a lot. Could take them far if they're able to to, to get that balance right. Um, that is obviously something that that's obviously something that they could really they could really use. As I quickly fix the focus on my camera, um, this is this is shocking, isn't it? Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. We're we're back. We're back. We're back. Quickly fix the focus on the camera. Um. Yeah, so obviously, yeah, but that really balanced Croatia side is obviously some is obviously something that is obviously something that could. As I quickly fix it again, I I apologize. It's just it's just giving me the shits at the moment. Um, as I try to find where it is, there we go. Fixed. Okay, I fixed it. I fixed it. I fixed it. I fixed it. Okay, all right, we're back. We're back. We're back. Focus should be fine now. I thought I saw it coming in and I focused on the camera. That that's great podcasting. That that that's why I'm that's why I'm just the best in the business at what I do. Um, but no, where was I? Balance of the team. Yes, the balance of the Croatian team. As a car starts outside, the, that balance of the Croatian team is obviously something that could take them very far. They've got that really strong midfield, which kind of is is the fulcrum of the team. It's the anchor of the team. Everything goes through them, everything goes through Modric, goes through Brozovic, goes through Kovacic, and then you have Vlasic as well on that right-hand side. He can drop slightly deeper. Perisic as well is so, so versatile, so he can even slow into a central midfield role. He's just that talented. So I I don't I don't necessarily think Croatia will go that far. I didn't have them going that far, but it, it, it is something that, that could take them far, and obviously no one had them going as far as what they did in 2018, right? So I guess you can... I guess you can you can they can draw on that experience as, as, as being underdogs and kind of upsetting the apple card in a sense. Of course, they they beat Denmark, Russia, and England on their way to the final. So, pretty good teams to beat. Of course, the Denmark side, which was we all saw what they did at the Euros, and England side, which we all saw what they did at the Euros, and a Russia side who we beat Spain in the round previous. Right, so it was of course it's a fantastic side that obviously isn't isn't fully there. Um, like I said, it's still bits and pieces, but they can draw off that experience. And when you look at Morocco, Morocco had a pretty underwhelming t- 2018 World Cup. Um, they didn't get a point. They got one point, and I was against Portugal in the final game. They lost to Iran um, and lost to Spain, which was pretty disappointing. But um, I guess I can draw from draw from that experience a little bit to not what, uh, on what not to do. Um, but when we look at the game in, in itself, it was a pretty even game, not pretty like... Oh, yeah, it was boring. I was going to say I shouldn't call it boring, but it was pretty boring. Um, Morocco looked a little bit better than what a lot of people expected. Croatia, as expected, held a lot, held on to the ball quite a lot. Um, we're just looking to play that final. We're just looking to pass and pass and pass and wait for that final pass into the final third, I should say. Um, it didn't really come. Both teams didn't really have the have the 
like oomph, like the oomph factor, the, the oof factor, I should say. But um, yeah, it, it, it's it's one of those things where first game of the tournament, both teams looked a little bit sluggish, both teams looked a little bit not all there. Um, and it it did it did it did come to the fore in a sense where where both teams didn't didn't have that final edge. And I think if this game happened maybe the third group game or potentially even in the round 16, I know obviously it wouldn't, but like if it were to happen that late into the tournament, I think maybe this game could have had a few more goals, could have been a little bit more exciting. Both teams just look to look to lack that that synergy between themselves. Of course, they've only been in camp for about a week and a bit, I think. Um, so I, I know especially Croatia have a lot of players playing in the top European leagues. They've only been in camp for about a week, a week and a half. So they haven't really been able to find that synergy again. And they have obviously been. It obviously is something that could, that could um that could hinder them, and obviously did show that it did hinder them, right? So, so it's something which maybe will come in the tournament. I don't expect Croatia to Croatia and Morocco to be as boring as what they were on um on or last night in that game. I think it was a little bit of playing cat and mouse, just trying to figure out what the other the other team will do. No, neither of them could really figure each other out, which is something which I didn't really expect from Croatia because Croatia normally. Are a very intelligent side. They like to, They know. They can figure out what the opposition are going to do quite quickly, um, and they can. They yeah. They can figure out what what the opposition can do quite quickly, and they can figure out what, um, what the the op- yeah. They can figure out what the opposition are going to do quite quickly, and then they can isolate the weaknesses that come from that. Um, they can isolate the weaknesses that come from that. So it, it, it's something that. I didn't expect Croatia to be as passive as what they were. I understand they are they are a very passive side naturally because they like to hold on to the ball. They like to um they like to hold on to the ball. They like to, to be very patient in possession, which of course they can be with Brozovic, with um, Kovacic and Modric in, in that midfield is, is something that um is something that allows them to to play that way. And obviously you need to play to your strengths, right? So um yeah, so so they they need to play to their strengths. They do play to their strengths, and they um that's obviously the way they play. They they use that midfield quite a lot, and they use it to break teams down. They use it to spread the ball out wide and recycle possession. I just feel like that final pass. They didn't really have a lot of creativity in that final third. You could see why Croatia obviously had a lot of had a lot of possession. They obviously dominated the ball, had a lot of passes in that middle third. So that in that final third, I don't think Vlasic was up to it. Kramaric is a lot more of a. I don't really know what Kramaric is. It's a bit weird. And Perisic didn't really look to be on form as what we potentially should have seen from him. So it was, it 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 was something that um it was something that he's kind of toing and froing between is Croatia are Croatia good? Are they bad? Are they average? Um, when we look at it from Morocco. I th- I, th- I think you can hold your head up high if you're, if you're if you're a Moroccan person if you're a Mor- Moroccan supporter because. That was a game which you needed to get a point of, and they did get a point, so they can go into the game against Canada. I don't, I'm not sure where that is, if that's second or third, but when they verse Canada, they'll be like, all right, if we get a win here, we can definitely cause a shock, and potentially if they get a point against um against Belgium as well, they can definitely cause a shock. I think this is a very even group. We're going to touch on the Belgium-Canada game as well, but I think this is a very, very even group. I think Morocco shocked me in particular. I thought Croatia were going to... I didn't think Croatia would win. I did predict a draw yesterday. But I thought Croatia were going, to be, were going to look a little bit better than what they were. So I don't know if this is Croatia looking slightly worse or Morocco looking slightly better than what I expected. I um, in comparison, or when looking at both sides. But I guess I guess time will tell. So I guess time will tell when it comes to that. Um, yeah, this is shaping to be. I. 
uh, this yeah, this is sh- shaping to be a pretty pretty even group, and a group which I didn't think would be as even. I thought, I thought Belgium and, and Croatia would run away with it, but when we we're going to touch on the Belgium game, um, we're going to touch on the Belgium, um, Canada game, in in a bit, and that game was despite the result didn't the result didn't pay um, um, the the result didn't pay didn't pay a fair picture of what um of what could, of of what this group could show. But let's move on from that game to the game which we're going to speak about we're going to speak about this a little bit more in depth i think obviously japan oh germany japan now oh, well what a what a game huh what a game how so i'll tell you what i'll tell you what i'll tell you what my conclusion from this game was my conclusion from this game was i think it's clear to say now that asian football is absolutely terrible um. Yeah. Like I, I reckon there should be one spot for Asian teams in the World Cup. They it's they suck. Like it's funny, isn't it? It's funny, isn't it? It's very funny because um. Obviously, I spoke about it two episodes ago. Since then, yes, Australia lost, but Saudi Arabia beat Argentina, and I mean Australia did take the lead against France, and then of course, um, Japan beat Germany. So maybe. Maybe Asian football is underrated, but we're going to touch on a little bit that we're going to be touching on that a little bit later. Let's let's touch on the game, and I want to let's obviously let's speak about what happened before the game. Of course, Germany were Germany were in I want to say alliance, but were kind of following the suit of England and I think Denmark and some other European nations in wearing the one love armband. Um, and of course, FIFA have now not allowed that. So Germany decided to make a stand in their own way. They covered their mouths in the in the team photo before the game. Brilliant, brilliant. Just a nice statement to make. It's not a political statement because human rights isn't politics. Um, I don't see I don't see any other human rights being politics, right? So it, it's not politics. It's human rights. So for them to do that and for them to kind of risk punishment or risk a fine. I mean, I mean, I mean, you can't do, you can't punish them for that because they could just be like, oh, our, our mouths were cold, right, or like we didn't brush our teeth. So they could really make up any excuse to do that, and they could really um, there's no real concrete proof of why they did that, but we can all assume, and it's pretty much said without being said what what they meant by that. Um, yeah, fantastic. Just, just this this tournament is going to be marred by these. Political statements that aren't political statements, like forty listeners, those in big quotation marks. These aren't political statements, right? Because they're just supporting basic human rights. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be surrounded by this this controversial topic and this controversy and the, sorry, I shouldn't say controversial topic, but this when you look at it from a from the perspective of where the tournament is being held there it's potentially controversial in that aspect because of the potential potential punishments etc 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 but really this shouldn't be controversial at all this this standing up for 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 a lot of basic things and this standing up both both when it comes to kind of an organizational type thing of course we saw with with like the one love stuff this kind of has been driven by a lot of nations to what iran did against england which was completely off their own back and didn't involve FIFA, hasn't doesn't involve any other country, just involves them, right? And they took a, they they put their neck out on the line and stood up against their establishment and an establishment which notoriously doesn't like to be stood up against. So you take that 
of course, FIFA, FIFA is an establishment that notoriously doesn't like to be stood up against. Um, the Qatari government, or the Qatari government, the Qatari, the Qatari establishment. I'm not quite sure. I'm not too clear up on 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 the goings on. But the Qatari establishment is once again an establishment that doesn't really like to be, um, doesn't really like to be stood up against. So for footballers and for people in power to or in people who have power and who have influence, for them to to be able to make this stand independently and risk punishment and risk fines and, ri- and risk games banned and risk all of this stuff to, to stand up for what's right is fantastic. And I think it's going to be one of the the, the, um, the storylines of the coming out of the tournament, the moment of the tournament. Um, yeah, the, 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 the footage of, of going back to the Iran thing, the footage of the Iranian players silent, absolutely silent throughout the national anthem, the the photo of of the England players doing the knee before kickoff, um, the the, of course and now of course the photo of, of the German players covering their mouths for the team photo, it's just it's fantastic right, because they need to they need to stand up for what's right and this is exactly in the way to do it. So let's go to the actual game. Let's touch on the first half. Um, just, uh, Germany looked good. Hey, um, I was gonna I was gonna speak on Japan, but I think I'll speak on them later. Japan looked. Uh, Germany looked very good. Germany controlled it from minute one. They were quick. They were incisive. They were elegant on the ball. They were high pressing. They were just dominating the play. Absolutely dominating Japan. And it, it, Germany obviously RSI. They like to keep possession now under Hansi Flick. They moved to that four two three one system and moved Musiala out to the left hand side. Nabri was playing really really wide on that right hand side. They kind of transitioned back into a three with Klosterman, Klosterman played on that right side, um, who then came in to be that let to be that right side centre back. They formed that three at the back, that double pivot of, of Kimmich and Gundogan, was it? Yeah, Gundogan started with Kimmich in that double pivot slightly ahead. And then Raum, um is that how you pronounce his name? I don't know. The left back. Ram. Raum. Raum. He's he's not a sheep, so I don't think I should call him Ram. Um he obviously was being that left winger, basically pushing really high into into that left into that left um side and byline, pushing maintaining the width down that left hand side, which allowed Musiala to come inside and be very very influential. Um, he was very good. Musiala is a fucking baller. He's a very good, very very talented footballer. Um, and he quite this is kind of sparking the the new wave and the next generation of German players because Musiala is is one of those players who isn't really, he isn't the, the German player. When you think of German players, you think of this industrious kind of, not a lot of flair, but just getting the job done. When you look at that 2014, that 20, yeah, that 2014 winning side, you had Muller, you had Kadira, you had Ozil, you had um, Closer, you had Gotza, you had Scherler, you had all these players, I butcher the pronunciations, I've Australianized them really drastically there, but you had all these players who aren't your flair players. I know Ozil is, but he isn't, he isn't flair. Like he's just very, very extreme, like extremely talented and extremely proficient at what he does. And that whole German side was proficient, right, in 2014. They've moved to this slightly more, slightly more elegant style of football. Of course, Havertz is playing up front, who is pretty non-German in the way that he plays the game, traditionally anyway. Musiala, same. Sorry, Musiala in a similar vein. Serge Nabry in a similar vein. 
these players who do offer something a little bit different, do offer some directness, um, just do offer some directness as well as some flair and as well as some kind of, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say like cockiness, but they do offer this kind of like, e like this easy on the eye way of playing football. Um, it isn't as intense, but it, but also is very effective. And we saw it was very effective in the first half. Japan were holding on for dear life, despite not, but despite not, um, conceding a lot of big chances, especially in the first half. It was kind of just meaningless ball, like this meaningless possession made by Germany, just throughout like the. Meaning, not, I wouldn't say meaningless possession, but it was possession that was kind of, um, how do you describe it? Possession that was kind of just in the middle third waiting to break Japan down. Japan were very, very, very sturdy in what they were able to do, right? Very sturdy in what they were able to do um, in terms of being able to, to compact space and not allow Japan to, to or not allow Germany to have a lot of chances in behind and a lot of chances through the lines. But in the same vein, they didn't create. Of course, they had that goal that was ruled out for offside. But apart from that, they'd created next to nothing in the first half. And it was something which you look at it and you look at... Yeah, you look at it and you look at it like... How how can Japan get back into this game? I just didn't see a way of Japan getting back into this game. Especially at the start of the second half when Germany just dominated some more. They just got on top of the game a lot more. They got on top of proceedings a lot more in that second half, in the start of the second half especially. And I just looked at the game and I thought, there's no way that they'll be able to get, they'll be able to, to, Japan will be able to break them down. Until they did. And I want to give a big mention to my mate Antonio, who is going to be, he's going to be very, very um, happy that I mentioned him because he asked for a mention on this podcast and he asked for a shout-out, so here he is. And the reason for it is because he messaged me out of the blue on dr- during the game. And I'll, 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 I'll quote him exactly. So this was um, this was at 121. So this would have been probably the 60th minute, maybe. Well, 121 is, what, 80 minutes... Yeah, around about the 60th, 55th minute, 60th minute. He messages me. Out of nowhere. Throw 50 bucks on Japan. It's paying 25 bucks. Now, um, now I'm, I am I don't want to give him credit because he knows he knows his ego is already as high as, as high as the sky, right? But from that point onwards, Japan turned things around. And and to and much of the disappointment of both of us, neither of us put the bet on. Um, and it was kind of, it was kind of, yeah, all right, no worries, until they started getting back into the game, until they scored the equaliser, until they scored the winner, and until the final whistle sounded. And it was like, oh, shit, it actually happened. Um, now, now I... I that's enough credit I'm going to give him because he he doesn't need more. The real the real spark for difference in this game was was in my opinion the sub of of um, Tommy Yasu at halftime. What this allowed is that it allowed Japan to move to a back three, and once they moved to a back three, they were able to get more. They were able to get um, players into those wide areas a lot more. They were able to to really expose Germany down the flanks, which of course you can do because they play like they like to play. That that was going to be a three at the back system, and because they ha- because it's a three at the back system without wing backs, and because it's in possession, they have no wing backs. They have wingers. When you get those turnovers, you can express yourself. If that's even a phrase. You can express and you can play attractive football out wide, right? Um, out wide because if you get that quick count up, if you get, if you get that quick 
turnover, you can counter quickly out wide to those gaps because there's no players there. There's no players even tracking back to that position, right? They're all, the only way that you can defend that is by stretching the back line, which obviously means the space is in behind. The first goal, the first goal obviously from, from Doan um, came, it was a, came from, came from something very similar to what I just mentioned in terms of that quick counter pressing and that quick board movement playing, that quick, like, um, that quick ball movement playing, like exciting, attacking, um, expensive football, especially on the counter-press. And it was kind of just a wait. It was once I scored that, it was wait and see what could happen. And Japan had the lion's I wouldn't say that they didn't have possession. They didn't really have a lot of chances. But when they did have chances, they looked very de- deadly and they looked dangerous. They looked like a team that... They, 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 looked, they looked threatening every single time they got the ball. Every single time they got the ball, they looked threatening. Um... And it, and it showed, of course, that goal came from... Re- the, the winner came from relatively nothing. It was just a ball into the channel. Asano takes the ball, drives at the defence, shrugs off Schlotterbeck, I think it would have been. No. No, it would have been um Nicolas Sula, I think. Shrugs him off with ease and scores. And then all of a sudden, it's it's kind of... Once again, it's a moment similar to the game against the Saudi Arabia-Argentina game. Within five minutes, it seemed. Oh, of course, like within within nine, within eight minutes of, of this game, but within five minutes of the Saudi Arabia game, the game is is turned on its head. It is turned on its head. There's nothing like it. Like you, you couldn't even imagine this. You couldn't even imagine this. It, it's 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 something that a lot of people. It's something that a lot of people, in terms of a lot of people who don't understand football, I would want to say deeply, but like, I don't even know where I'm going with this. I kind of lost my train of thought. But um, it, like when you when you don't look at this Japan side, if, if that makes sense, and you look at them for the players that they've got, you don't really, you're not really that excited by the players they've got. But with the way that they play, it's just this high tempo, high energy way of playing football that can turn a game on its head like this. So they were always within a chance. They were always within a sniff. Always within a sniff. Because of this kind of hell for leather, hell to skelter way of playing football, especially when they get that turnover, that quick turnover. And of course, they, they had to hold on for, for 14 more minutes. Of course, it was plus seven when it comes to at a time. And they held on, and they held on for a phenomenal, phenomenal victory. And I'm going to touch on the Costa Rica-Spain game, but this victory, in my opinion pretty much sees Japan through to the round of 16 because I don't I don't see A, I don't see Germany beating Spain I can see them getting a draw 100% but I don't, I don't see them beating them and I don't see Japan losing to, Saudi, to Costa Rica so unless Japan can manage to unless Japan can manage to not go through um, on four points yeah, unless Japan can manage to to not go through on four points, um, and kind of do a reverse of what they did four years ago, and like finish on equal points as as third and and not go through, or as second this time and not go through, then I I see them I see Japan through, and what that means is that one of Spain or Germany are out, and if it's Germany, you can't go out in group stages into into consecutive World Cups. You can't do that. I can't remember. When was the last time 
the World Cup winner's curse has carried over an extra year. Uh, we all thought it'd go over to France. I don't think that's going to happen now, unfortunately, and that is just partly Australia's fault, so you can blame us. But um, has the World Cup curse ever carried over to two years in a row? Um, 2014. Yes, it did. Yes, it did in 2014, Italy. So there you go. There you go. I, I'm pretty sure Italy didn't make it out of the group stage in 2014, did they? It was Uruguay that got through. Yeah, it was. So obviously Italy won in 06, 2010, they bombed out. In 2014, they bombed out. So there you go. So you have that 06, two years in a row World Cup curse. Maybe that means Germany won't qualify for the 2026 World Cup. Maybe that's what it means. Um, but fuck, yeah, there you go. There you go. So it's going to happen It's gonna happen in two consecutive in two consecutive brackets where the where the World Cup winners from from four from eight years ago don't make it out of the group stage in, in two consecutive World Cups. That's if that's of course if Germany if Spain beat Germany. Um which is gonna be a cracking game. The jeopardy on that game is gonna be massive. Absolutely massive, which is good. But um yeah, I think I alluded to it at the start. Let's touch on Asian football, hey? Um l- l- let's touch on Asian football because like I said, people underrated it, man. People underrated it, and people are sleeping on it big time. Ab- like sleeping on it big time. When you look at, when you look at what these countries like Saudi Arabia and Japan have able to do with the talent, with the players that they've got. Of course, Saudi Arabia don't have anyone playing in the top divisions. I don't think. I think most of their side actually plays for one team, and that is. Um, Al Halal in Saudi Arabia, I think, um, or at least some of them do, or like a lot of them do. Japan obviously do have a lot of a lot of players in those top brackets. Of course, you have Endo playing for Stuttgart. You have Ito playing in, I think, playing in France. I think um, Minamino. We all know like where he's floated around. Tommy Asu's playing for Arsenal, etc., etc. Right. So they do have a lot of players playing in in top in top teams. Or our top teams in European clubs, but still the gap in class between Japan and Germany and Argentina and Saudi Arabia. Granted, it's a lot bigger with Argentina and Saudi Arabia, no doubt. But Japan and Germany shouldn't—it still shouldn't be—it still shouldn't be a competition. You can see potentially Japan scoring a goal, but really Germany should score three or four. When you look at talent, but in terms of when you look at on paper talent, but. They are just under, it's just complete, so underrated, so underrated on the world stage. And when you look at, you looked at, you looked at this side, you looked at this qualification. So you looked at this confederation, and it, it it had the worst possible start because you had, you had obviously the the 2018 Asian, the most recent Asian Cup winners Qatar being absolutely dog shit. You had Iran who finished top of, who finished, who were the best qualifying team from, from Asia. I'm pretty sure, right. So, um, obviously, I'm pretty sure they were the top. They were the top two. They were the top ten. Yeah, they they finished on they finished on 25 points. Saudi Arabia finished on 23. Um, who, who topped the other group, right? So you had so you had Iran and Saudi Arabia. So you had Iran and Qatar, two technically two of the two of the best, um, two of the best Asian teams. Qatar, the most recent, um, what's the word? Continental tournament winners. Fuck me, um, and then you have um, Iran being the most the, the best qualifiers. They get Iran gets slapped six one. Qatar gets slapped two 0 but they were abysmal. So you're looking and you're thinking, fuck me, how what a shocking start, right? But then bang, Saudi Arabia beat Argentina. Australia score against France, um, and then of course Japan beat Germany, right? 
so what this shows is it shows depth. It shows depth, and it also shows that Hardong are actually like got some talent over here, over here on the east, on the eastern on the eastern side of the world. Um, yeah, it's. What can you say, man? Like, what can you say? It really is, it really is underrated, and I think this game kind of showed everyone that. Um, of course, when you look at the next Asian team that will be playing. Um, if you look at the next Asian team that we'll be playing, it will be South Korea playing at midnight tonight against Uruguay. Of course, I'll give my preview and my predictions on that when we come to it. But yeah, um, and apart yeah, and apart from that, that would of course mean that the first round of yeah, the first round of, of games are done. That's pretty cool. So um, yeah, just want to touch on that because that was quite funny. That's something that I observed. But um, yeah, let's move on to Spain versus Costa Rica. Now. This this game, huh? 7-0. 7-0. When was the last time a team won 7-0 in a World Cup? Maybe it was Portugal versus North Korea. I think that was 7-0. Maybe that was 6-0. I don't know. But um, in 2010, that is, of course. 7 7-0. 7-0. Fuck me. This game was... This game is quite funny because you can look at... You can look at... To me, to me, this game, this game makes me so happy for a couple of reasons. And those couple of reasons I'm going to bring up. I'm going to bring up very shortly. But when when you look at Spain, you obviously, all, of course, all remember that whole that that 2010 08 to 12 era: Tiki Taka, Iniesta, Xavi, Busquets, David Villa, Pedro, Torres, um, Fabregas, Puyol, Ramos, Pique, like talent upon talent upon talent, like Captain Villa, like talent upon talent upon talent. The, it obviously kind of faded away. Twenty fourteen, they didn't get out of the group. Twenty eighteen was slightly underwhelming. The Euros was their first real tournament where they went back to all that. Like they showed everyone, oh yeah, we're actually back. Made the semifinals and probably could have gone through to the final. Um, but but two things, two things, or three things, three things technically that make me so happy that Spain are good, and that is Gavi and Pedro, because the fact that Spain have the audacity. To start an eighteen-year-old and an eighteen, like what two two eighteen-year-olds, right? Of course, Gavi's eighteen. How old's Pedri? Pedri can't be older than eighteen, right? I refuse. There is no way. Gavi's eighteen. Pedri. Pedri's nineteen. Oh, he's t- he turns twenty tomorrow. That's fucked. Okay, well, at the time of recording, he's still nineteen. But the fact that the fact that Spain can start two teenagers at the World Cup in central midfield and have them both boss the game and dominate the game and just be so comfortable in possession and so comfortable at the level, the pressure didn't get to them at all, just goes to show, A, just how talented Gavi and Pedri are, but how good that Spanish football system is. It's one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world. They just slot into that system so perfectly. It's it's breathtaking to watch, absolutely breathtaking to watch. They're two of the best footballing talents on the planet right now. And the fact that Gavi is doing this at 18, the fact that Gavi is younger than me is just fucking ridiculous. And the fact that he's doing it at this level so comfortably is absurd. Absolutely absurd. He was integral. Of course, it was a 7-0 win, but he was absolutely integral to that game. Absolutely integral. And they're just that's that's one thing which I saw, which I noticed. But another thing in which I noticed was... And which I found, which I which I came to find when looking at this game, when doing some research, in order to to talk about it, um, 
in terms of like after after the game happened and after you watch it watch it all and all that good stuff was the balance of Spain. And what I mean by that is this how fucking satisfying is that? Audio listeners, I apologize. But basically what I'm bringing up is the heat map or the average positions for Spain. How fucking satisfying is that? That 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 is, if that doesn't show Spanish football in a nutshell, then I don't know what will. That is just absolutely absurd how much balance in that te- that in that squad. And then when you couple it with their passing map, I mean, come on. Come on, man. Like, how fucking... I saw this floating around on Twitter and so many people were going mental over it and I agree. I'm in so much... I'm in so much agreeance with them. The balance in that squad... I know, what, I know it's Costa Rica. I know it's Costa Rica. But fucking come on, man. How balanced and how just so technically capable is that team? It's ridiculous. I might need to change my predictions. I think they're going to go fucking far, man. I think they... When you look at my predictions, they come up against Brazil in the quarters, and that's why I've got them... They come up against Brazil in the quarters, and I've got got them going out in the quarters to Brazil. But... Spain are good. Spain are fucking good. Very, very, very good. Very talented. Um, And... Just look at just look at these two things, man. Just look at them. As I as my, as my face gets bigger, and uh, I apologize, probably giving a lot of people fucking nau- making a lot of people nauseous. I'll stop doing that. But um, you have the passing map, then you have the average positions. The average average position is just so just so show much so much balance. Passing map shows that as well. Ah, uh, love Spain, love Spain, love the love them so much. And I mean, they're de- they I mean, when you look at their bench, they've got Fati, they've got Lorente, they've got Sola, Pino, Koke. Like, they've got so much talent on the bench, man. Sarabia. Like, got, oh, Spain is so good. Spain is so good. Anyways, let's move on. Let's move on before I before I speak about Spain anymore. Let's go to, let's go to Canada, Belgium. Let's finish things up. This this was such an exciting game. I was so pumped for this game, especially um, after the, the Japan-Germany game because I thought, well, Belgium aren't as good as Germany and, and Canada are... Canada aside, that can just tear a game to shreds. And this was so thrilling to watch. So thrilling to watch. Probably one of the better better one nil wins, better one nil games I should say I've, I've watched. This was just so captivating from start to finish. So captivating. And Canada are really good. Canada are really really good. And it wouldn't shock me in the slightest if they get out of their group. When you look at Morocco and Croatia, neither side showed neither side neither side showed just how good they were. Neither side really stamped their authority on the group. And despite being bottom of the group, the team that looked the best from those from those from those group of games was Canada. Which is pretty insane to think about. The team from the like what group is it? Group D, Group F. Like, like the team from Group F that has looked the best in their first set of games is Canada, despite them being bottom of the group. Canada looked so good against Belgium. It wasn't even funny. They were passing it around. They were being so intrinsic with the way they were playing. They were doing it at pace, at tempo, getting in between the lines, using width, using balance. Alfonso Davies was exceptional. Stefan Ustakio was, ex- was exceptional. Like... So many players in that team just played out of their skin, man. And they, despite losing and despite being bottom of the group, 
they should they're the team that should hold their head, hold their hold their head the highest at the end of um heading into the next group of game next group of games because that th- they showed they showed so much more than Morocco, Belgium or Croatia all throughout those games. It wouldn't shock me if they get through in the sliders. If they can maintain the, the, the players that they need to maintain, if they can keep those if they can keep those players fit, why can't they get through? They're they're exceptional, man. They're very, very good. They're very good. Um when we look at when we look at look at some of the things that happened throughout the game. Um obviously Alfonso Davies with a penalty. It was a bad penalty, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean the penalty was clear in terms of like the decision, right? But yeah, it was just a pretty shit pen, hey. I mean, I mean, I think I think it was Alan Smith on commentary who said, "If if Courtois got, dies the other way, we all praising it. It's a great pen, but it's just one of those things." The refereeing was fucking atrocious. I don't know how that referee is in charge after what he did at Afcon, but once again, it, once again, it's FIFA, so who really cares? And Belgium aren't that good. That's good. That's what I've got in my notes. Belgium aren't that good. Canada were able to pass around them at absolute ease. Absolute ease. They relied on the counter. It was one long ball after Batshuayi who scored. Apart from that, Belgium created next to nothing. Um, Canada were the better team by by country mile. Canada dominated dominated the game. It wasn't even close. Canada were by far the better team, and they should have won. They should have won quite comfortably. It should have been two three, two three one in my opinion, because like two one or three one. Canada dominated. Canada absolutely dominated. I mean, if you want to bring up the stats, I'm not sure the stats will tell a similar story, but Canada had less possession, but they had 22 shots to nine. They had a 2.63 XG. They created three big chances. They missed all of them. They had 18 shots inside the box. Like, like, Belgium had to make 24 more clearances than Canada. It was fucked, man. Canada looked fucking unbelievable. Canada looked so good. And if they can bring half of that, if they can bring half of what they'd showed against Belgium to the games against Croatia and Morocco, they can take six points. 100% they can take six points. They shocked me. If they can keep everyone fit and if they can keep doing what, to, if they can keep doing what they're doing, they can absolutely do what they did against Belgium and do really, really well. So, so there you go. It's one of those things, eh? One of those things, eh? Where the upsets on the cards. That's why I was so, I was so, I was so fixated on this game because, especially after the the Germany Japan game, because I was like, Belgium are gonna win. I mean, Canada are gonna win. Canada are gonna win. I was convinced that Canada were gonna win. And when they got the pen, I was like, oh, there you go. I'm gonna be right. And then they missed the pen. I was like, fuck, I'm wrong. Um, but it, yeah, Canada looks exceptional. Canada looked absolutely exceptional. Um. We're touching on forty-two minutes. I've got to get this podcast out in in an hour and in an hour and fifteen minutes. It's twelve forty-four at the time of recording. Do I have time? Would I have time to speak on this one last talking point before I do the preview? Is it worth it? No, nah, I won't. I won't. I can't risk it. I can't risk it. It's not that important anyway. You're not going to miss it. I was just going to speak about basically what I was going to speak about was. The um the scenes at Fed Square yesterday, which came out um the scenes at Fed Square, like all the scenes and stuff, and I was gonna speak about the two blokes who pretended to be French and started a punch on basically, or in, or instigated a punch on, but it's not worth it. I'll just leave it. Um, I'll just move on to the preview of the week because I don't have a lot of time. I'm in a little bit of a rush. Switzerland, Cameroon. 
oh, this is going to be a meh game in my opinion. I don't really Switzerland. I rate them, but I think they're quite disciplined. So I think it's going to be good when they when it's Switzerland Brazil. That's going to be a good game. Um, Cameroon definitely have the talent to shock to shock them. Um, I think it's going to be low scoring. I'm going one all. I'm going to go one all in that game. Of course, Brazil. I oh, know we'll go Uruguay South Korea. Do I continue carrying the Asian momentum or the Asian Confederation momentum? I think Uruguay would be too strong. I just think Uruguay would be too strong. I'm going to go one new Uruguay, but if South Korea can definitely get a result, definitely get a result. Portugal Ghana, one new Ghana, one new Ghana, one new Ghana. No. 2-1 Ghana, 2-1 Ghana in that game. Actually, I'm going to change my Uruguay-South Korea. So Uruguay-South Korea, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go 2-1 Uruguay. Portugal-Ghana, I'm going to go 2-0 Ghana. 2-0 Ghana. The, the Ronaldo factor is going to upset the Apple Cup big time. And then Brazil-Serbia, that's going to be a fucking cracking game. I can't wait for that. I'm actually so excited to watch that game. It's unbelievable. That's That has that been my game to watch throughout this whole tournament, or throughout this whole group stage so far. That has been my game to watch. Um, obviously, apart from Australia, of course. I'm so excited. And the reason I'm excited is because I think Serbia can do them. I think Serbia can do them. I'm going to go with... I've already predicted one upset. I'm going to go... I want to go 2 1 Serbia. I'm going to go 2 1 Serbia. I think Mitrovic and Vlahovic will do the business, to be honest. I just think they're going to do the business. Brazil, they're going to be a little bit sluggish. They're going to be caught off guard. 2 1 Serbia. There you go. They're my predictions. And we'll, that's where we'll wrap up. So, yes, thank you all very much for watching another episode of the Two Foot Attack podcast. Um, World Cup edition. That is it. We are done. Yes, thank you all very much for watching. I already said that. Um, yeah, do, do leave your thoughts, predictions of the next group stages, games in the comments below. Leave your thoughts on any games, any talking points that I mentioned. Um, yeah, follow Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, socials, the other socials, all the other platforms, um, YouTube, all that good stuff. Yes, do all that good stuff. Can't be bothered shouting, shouting out even more. I've got an hour and 13 minutes to get this podcast up before two o'clock, so I better get going. Thank you all very much for watching. See you guys tomorrow, um, and goodbye.